Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace. So Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you for your truth. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. That we are no longer in the dark concerning who you are. We know your nature. We know your personality. We know who you are. I pray that as we look into your word, we will see you clearer. We will know you better. And you will enable us and equip us to even walk in obedience even more. We thank you, Lord, because your word is honey. It is gold. It is precious to us. We honor your word because we honor you. Show us yourself anew this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you today what I titled, Running Till the End. Running Till the End. I believe that the Lord has sent me to someone. Maybe life is not going the way you thought it would go. Maybe you're facing all kinds of pressures, facing all kinds of issues, all kinds of situations. Maybe you're being persecuted for your faith. And because of all these things, you are tempted to give up on God, tempted to turn your back on Christ, tempted to abandon church because of the relational strife and crisis you may have had with people. The Lord sent me here to tell you that you can run till the end. And that you don't have to give up and that there is hope. And so we're going to look today at how to run till the end. Now, let me begin by saying this, and this is very important. One of the things that you must know, if you're going to remain faithful to Christ in this world, is that Christianity is not a vacation. Okay, I'll say that one more time. One of the things that you must know if you are going to remain faithful to Christ in this world is that Christianity is not a vacation. When I talk to children, I say it like this. Christianity is not ice cream. <laughs> it's not a walk in the park. You know, as Christians, we are not exempt from the trials and the troubles of life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there is no joy in Christianity. I'm not saying that there is no peace in Christianity. In fact, there is a real joy. There is a real peace in Christianity, a real peace in Christ. But you know, the Bible never promised us. God never promised us the absence of a storm. What he promised us is peace in the midst of the storm. God never promised us a trouble-free life. What he promised us is that we can have joy in the midst of it. You know, First Peter, where Peter speaks about joy unspeakable, full of glory. He's writing to people who are in the midst of persecution. And so if you read just before, he says joy unspeakable. He tells them that they've had to endure all kinds of pain and suffering. And so the Bible speaks about peace that passes all understanding. That's a peace in the midst of the storm. In other words, based on everything I am facing, there's no reason why I should be having peace. But the peace of scripture, the peace of the spirit, is a supernatural peace that transcends our circumstances. It transcends our troubles. It transcends our pain. 
but it's still a peace in the midst of trials and tribulations. Unfortunately, many of us have bought into this um, comfortable Christianity mindset where we just expect Christianity to be trouble-free and we just think it'll be a walk in the park. But when we look in the scriptures and even in our experience, we see that there are trials and there are troubles and there is pain sometimes. And James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy when you go through various trials. James does not say if. <laughs> he says, Count it all joy when you go through trials. And so yes, we are saved. We have come to Christ. We have given our hearts to Him and received His life. But we are not always exempt from the trials and the tribulations of life. We come to Christians too. I know Christians face persecution. Christians all around the world right now in places like China, in some parts of India, in Pakistan, I have a dear brother, a friend who's from Pakistan who always reports to me some of the persecution that the Christians are facing in those nations. Literally every single day, they must make a choice between their faith in Jesus and their lives. Some of them have been abandoned by their families because of their faith in Christ. Some of them have lost jobs, lost businesses because of their faith in Christ. Now I know that in Nigeria or in the United States where I am, um, the persecution may not be uh, uh, that extreme yet, but we still face some type of persecution. For instance, there's a young lady, you know, a guy walks up to her and he's very nice looking and they, they go on a date and they start to have a conversation. And then suddenly the conversation about faith comes up and she says, well, you know, I'm a Christian and because I'm a Christian, that means I don't believe in sex before marriage. And suddenly his face changes. And after the date, you never hear from him again. That's an example of persecution. Because of your faith, you lose something. You know, sometimes as Christians, we go to share our faith, we go to evangelize, and we're ridiculed, we're laughed at. That's persecution. You're in an office, and your boss is trying to get you to cheat on the contract. And you say, no, I can't do that. I'm a believer in Christ. And so you become sidelined for a promotion, or you become target because of your honesty. Christians face persecution. It's real. It happens to the best of us. In fact, I want to read you a scripture. This is 2 Timothy 3.12. I want you to listen to what Paul says. This is so powerful. 2 Timothy 3.12. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now, this is almost stated like a promise, but this is not one of the promises that we, we claim. You know, we like those other promises in Scripture, but I've never seen anyone claiming this, this Scripture before. But Paul says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Not maybe, but will be persecuted. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the only way a Christian can avoid persecution is if they compromise. But if you want to live a faithful, 
godly life, sooner or later, you will face some type of persecution, social, financial, or business, something, because Christians are not exempt from trials. You know, Christians face troubles of different kinds. There are, there are troubles of everyday life, financial pressures, ministry pressures, relational pressures, inward temptations, parenting troubles, frustration in business, all kinds of things happen to believers, even those who are strong in faith. They happen to the best of us. And you know, sometimes when these things happen, they have a tendency to shake our faith. They have a tendency to weaken our hands. And we may be tempted to run back from God, to draw back from Christ, to turn off our backs on scripture, to turn our backs on the church. Trials have a way of shaking us. You know, we stop praying like we used to. We stop giving like we used to. We stop loving like we used to because we've been hurt. We stop giving and doing all the things that we used to because troubles sometimes shake our faith. You know, when Israel was in the wilderness during those testings and those trials, one of the things that kept on happening to them is that they kept saying to Moses, take us back. <laughs> Just take us back to Egypt. One time they said to him, why did you bring us into this wilderness to die? You remember that in Egypt they were slaves, they were beaten. But sometimes life in the wilderness gets so hard, troubles, trials, that we begin to look at Egypt, the place of slavery, with a kind of romantic view. It's like, I, I remember when we had the licks and the onions and, oh, we ate food at no cost. I'm reading that and I'm thinking, don't you remember how you were beaten and striped? But you see, sometimes in the difficulty of life, we are tempted to draw back, to look at the old life, to romanticize our sin and our past life. Because life in the wilderness does get hard. You know, in terms of biblical typology, we are also in the wilderness of our lives. We are no more in Egypt, but we are not quite in Canaan. We have not yet reached the promised land. Yes, we have received the first fruits of the Spirit, and we have been redeemed, but we have not received the fullness of our redemption that will come when we are in heaven. So, we're no longer in Egypt. We've been saved from sin or from Egypt. We've been saved from Pharaoh or from the devil. We've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, our Passover Lamb. We've been saved through the leadership of our mediator, not Moses, but Christ. And so we are no more in Egypt. We've come out of the old life. But we are not quite in Canaan yet. We're not in heaven yet. We've not reached our full rest yet. So we are also in the wilderness just like um, Israel was. And sometimes life in the wilderness gets hard and we are tempted to draw back. We are tempted to look back. But the Lord sent me to you this day, you who is struggling, you who is going through a difficult time, to say unto you that you can run till the end, that you don't have to draw back, and that He is with you through every step of the way, and that you will make it to the finish line in the name of Jesus. What I want to do today is we're going to be in, in the book of Hebrews. It's one of my favorite um, books of the Bible. Such an amazing book. 
And the reason why I chose Hebrews is because the book of Hebrews was written to people who were tempted to draw back in the midst of trials and in the midst of tribulations. It was written to people who were tempted to give up on Christ. And so I thought of this as the most appropriate book to, for us to look at today. You know, the recipients of the book of Hebrew uh, were Jewish believers who had abandoned Judaism and had put their faith in Christ. So they were Jewish believers who used to go to the temple before, who used to celebrate all the feasts. But when they met Christ, they abandoned all those practices, all those feasts, or the Sabbaths and the New Moon Festival. They abandoned all those things because they believed, like you and I do, that Christ is the fulfillment of all those sacrifices. You know, Christ is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Christ is the temple to end all temples. Christ is the high priest. So they stopped going to the high priest. They stopped going to the temple. They stopped doing all those sacrifices because they had embraced Christ as the fulfillment of all those things. But you see, because they had left Judaism, they were receiving persecution from their former friends and family who were still practicing Judaism. And so they were no longer doing business with them. Some of them were put in prison. Some of them were beaten. Their, their property was taken from them. They were being persecuted because of their faith. And because of this, many of them were tempted to draw back. And so the whole book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote that book to encourage them to say, don't draw back. That's why we read things like, um, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. You see, what was happening is that because of persecution, they were no longer going to church, <laughs> no longer praying. The issues of life, the persecution, the hatred, the trouble was becoming so much that they were beginning to draw back from God. And the writer wrote this book to them to say, don't give up. He was writing to them to say, don't apostatize. Don't give up your faith. Keep running. And so we read, for instance, let me read you a portion of scripture. Just to give you a feel of what was happening to these Hebrew believers. This is Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 32 to 39. Hebrews 10, 32 to 39. The writer says to them, Remember those earlier days after you received the light. So after you became believers, remember those days when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. He says, sometimes you are publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. He said, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew, man, I love this. He said, because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. Glory to God. I don't know if this excites you like it does me. He says, they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property because they knew that they had better and lasting possessions. You know, one of the things that's remarkable about this book, if you read the book of Hebrews, you will see that he's always saying to them that what we have in Christ is so much more better than anything that this world has to offer to us. And I just want to say that to you this, this day, what you have in Christ is so much more better than anything that this world can offer to you. Christ is better than, than that boyfriend you may have lost. 
Christ is better than that business you may have lost. Christ is better than anything that this world has to offer to us. It's his better and lasting possessions. He's not talking about anything that this world can offer. He's talking about eternal realities. He's talking about the hope that we have in Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. He's talking about the fact that in Christ we have an eternal redemption better than money, better than fame, better than possessions. Nothing that this world can offer can be compared to the glory that we have in Christ. So I just say that to you one more time. Oh, glory to God, that what we have in Christ is so much more better than anything that this world has to offer. You see, one of the things that Hebrews tells us is that if you're going to survive as a believer, you must have an eternal mindset. You must remove your eyes from all the things that this world can give you and set your eyes on the hope to come. That's how we survive. And so he says to them that they joyfully accepted the confiscation of property because they knew that they had better and lasting possessions. Now, so far he's been describing their life in the past when they first received Christ. There was a vigor about their faith. There was a passion. They were willing to suffer. But you know, now in the midst of trials, as it has continued and it has become more and more, the writer has noticed or heard that they are beginning to draw back. And so he writes to them. He continues. This is verse 35. He says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Oh, I just say that to you today. Do not throw away your confidence in Christ because it will be richly rewarded. There is a reward to look forward to. We are not running aimlessly. We are not as ones who beat the air. There is a reward to look forward to. He says you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. He says, for in just a little while, he who is coming, speaking of Christ, will come and will not delay. And then he quotes again. He says, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And then he speaks over his people. He says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I just believe God with you that you do not belong to those who shrink back. Even through trials, even through temptations, even through difficulty, you do not shrink back. We are those who have faith and are saved on to the end. And so this whole letter to the Hebrews is written to encourage us through the trials of life, through tribulations, through persecutions, to say, hold on to your faith in Christ. Don't give up because there is more ahead of you in Christ, eternal redemption, heavenly realities, a final rest, more than anything this world can offer. And we must hold on to Christ, even though in reality, he's already holding on to us. I love how Paul says it. I want to apprehend that for which I am. I have been apprehended. In other words, it is not my hold on Christ that saves me. It is his hold on me. There is a prior hold. His hold comes first. And I hold on to him as he holds on to me. And so that's the message of Hebrews. Don't give up on God. Because there is more in Christ than anything this world has to offer. 
So I want to offer that same encouragement to you today. And to do that, we're going to go to our main text, which is going to be Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1 to 3. Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1 to 3. I want to give you very quickly four exhortations that will help us run till the end. Very quickly. Four exhortations that will help us run till the end. Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1 to 3. Oh Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word is beautiful. It is delightful to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. So from this scripture, four exhortations that will enable us run till the end. Now I've made all my exhortations begin with the letter L so that you can remember them easily. So four exhortations, here they are. Number one, listen to the witnesses. Listen to the witnesses. Number two, let go of weights and sins. Let go of weights and sins. Number three, let us run with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance. And number four, look intently at Jesus. Four exhortations that help us run till the end. Listen to the witnesses. Let go of weights and sins. Let us run with perseverance and look intently at Jesus. So number one, listen to the witnesses. He begins by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, as a Bible student, the first thing on my mind is, who are this cloud of witnesses? Who is he referring to? Yes, he says that we are surrounded by them, but who are they? I, I want to know who this great cloud of witnesses are. And so to find that, the key is in the word, therefore. Notice he begins by saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, <laughs> basic grammar tells me that nobody begins a sentence by saying, therefore. You know, you just don't walk up to someone and say, therefore, I want you to know. <laughs> They'll be like, well, what do you mean, therefore? So when he says, therefore, he's definitely referring to something that has come before. And so, because this is Hebrews 12, chapter 1, and it begins by saying, Therefore, our minds must tell us that whatever he's talking about has to do with Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, so when we turn our Bibles back to Hebrews chapter 11, what do we find? We see that Hebrews 11 contains the record of Old Testament saints who were faithful to God and stayed the course until the end. In other words, when he says that we are supposed to listen to the witnesses, he's saying we're supposed to be inspired by the lives 
of men and women in the Old Testament who despite their difficulty, despite their challenges, remain faithful to God. So what he's saying is we ought to read the Bible for the stories of people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and all those people in the Old Testament who stayed faithful to God in the midst of trials and tribulations. They are the witnesses that we are supposed to be listening to. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that sometimes when you're weak on faith, you ought to crack open your Bible and just read the story of Abraham who waited about 25 years for a promise of God. 25 years of waiting and hoping and, and trusting. And what do we find about the life of Abraham? In the end, God came through for him. What he's saying is that sometimes you may go to witness and people will laugh at you. Open your Bible and read the story of Noah who kept on preaching for many years about a flood to come and people laughed at him but he just kept building his ark he's saying read about people like Moses who the Bible says he, he did not consider uh, uh, suffering with the people of God that uh, to be light the Bible says he chose suffering with the ch children of God because he knew that there was more ahead of him he's seen be inspired by the stories of people in the Old Testament who trusted in God till the end you know, he speaks about a race. And these Old Testament saints are to us like runners that have gone ahead of us. They've won the gold medal. And their stories are meant to inspire us. Their stories are meant to show us what can happen with the possibilities of faith. What God can do with people who, despite their difficulty, stay till the end. He's saying, open the Old Testament, read the story of Joseph. Who waited all those years for a promise to come through. Read the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they will tell you this that sometimes we may go through fire but when we come out we don't even smell of smoke. That we have to be inspired by this man and woman. They are our witnesses. They've gone ahead of us and their stories are meant to inspire us. Listen to the witnesses. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 he said this he said, we are to be followers of those who through faith and patience obtain the promise. And he was speaking about Abraham. That we are meant to follow these people, follow their footsteps. Those who through their faith and through patience obtain the promise. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, For everything that was written in the past, speaking about the Old Testament, was written to teach us so that, through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So you see, some of us look down on the Old Testament, but one of the functions of the Old Testament is as a witness to the faithfulness of God, to those who don't give up. Open the stories of these men and women, Rahab, Ruth, and all those people who are there to inspire us. Listen to the witnesses. So that's number one. Number two, we have let go of weights and sins. He says, let us throw off everything. I believe the King James says, every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So he carries on this um, uh, imagery of a race and says, you know, throw off every extra weight. Throw off everything that entangles. Can you imagine someone trying to run a race 
carrying a 50 uh, pound uh, a sack of rice and trying to win, win the race. You know, they just have this sack of rice on their head and they are running, trying to win the race. It will hinder your speed. That's what he's saying. That there are weights in the walk of Christ, in the, in the Christian life, that sometimes hinder our progress. There are things that we don't need to be carrying. Weights and sins. Now, he differentiates between weights and sins because weights are not sins. See, weights are good things, harmless things, sometimes even profitable things. They're not sins. But you know that it's not always sins that keep us from God or keep us from running. Sometimes there are good things that keep us from the best things. It's not always wrong things. Sometimes it's good, profitable things that we idolize that keep us from running or hinder us in our race. Good things like business. A business is a wonderful thing. There is nothing wrong with business. But you see, if the pursuit of money and business begins to usurp your relationship with God, such that money and business become more important to you than God, then it has become a weight. And then there is a need for you to reprioritize, to reevaluate your priorities. He's talking about good things like marriage. Marriage is a blessing. It's a blessing from God. He gave it to us to enjoy. You see, God gave us marriage so that we can reflect Christ. But sometimes marriage replaces Christ. We can idolize marriage when you begin to love your spouse more than you love God. And begin to make decisions primarily in light of your spouse and in light of what God has said. We can make an idol out of our spouse. And so it's a good thing, but it becomes a weight. Good things like TV. If you're watching TV too much and it's keeping you from witnessing, keeping you from praying, it's a weight. Oh, here's a personal pet peeve. Good things like social media. You know, one time I looked at my phone and saw how much time I was spending online. And I said, man... I struggle sometimes to pray for, for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, but I've been on this thing for three hours. There are things, good things. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I use it for ministry, but sometimes you can be on there for four hours and your life has just gone by. It has become a weight and you have to reevaluate, reevaluate. See, what is a weight for me may not be a weight for you. We all have different areas. But what he's saying is that there are some good things that can sometimes usurp the place of God. Good things like ministry. Do you know that it's possible for ministry to keep you from Jesus? You're so busy trying to grow the church that you have no time to pray. In fact, you're so busy thinking about numbers that you do not really love the actual real people in front of you. Some of those things become weights. They become weights. Remember the parable of the sower. There was a seed that fell among thorns. It says the cares of this world, worries, anxieties, chasing after wealth and all kinds of things is what choked the life in the seed. Sometimes good things can keep us from the best things. So he says there are weights that hinder, but he says there, there are also sins that entangle sins are entangled. He's saying there are some sins that trip us up in our race. Things that make us slip and fall 
and keep us from progressing. Sins like grumbling, sins like unbelief, sins like bitterness and anger, sins like envy, where instead of running the race, you're so bothered looking at everybody else and worrying who is running their own race and who is not. The writer is saying these things, they trip us off, they hinder our progress. What he's saying is you ought to travel light. You know, some, some commentators tell us, <laughs> and this is really funny, but that in those days, in those, and the, the, the games, they were the predecessors to the Olympic games that we have now. They were called the Isthmian games, but the runners actually ran naked. <laughs> they ran naked. They removed everything, every extra weight, everything that kept them from running at full velocity. They removed it. Can I just say to you, that you do not have to be a slave to sin if you are in Christ. Sin shall not have dominion over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You've been empowered by the Spirit of God to live above sin. And so it need not trip you as you run your race. Let go of weights. Let go of sins. So number one, number one was... Um, let go no number one was listen to the witnesses number two let go of weights and sins and now number three says let us run with perseverance i believe that the writer wants us to know that the christian race is more about endurance than speed <laughs> i'll say that one more time the christian race is more about endurance than speed this is not a hundred meter dash it is a long marathon and you see because many people do not think long term they give up halfway because they are not understanding that this is a long race you know i've heard people tell stories of being in races long marathons and they begin by running very fast and they expend all their energy in the first uh, few meters and so by the time they get to the end they're passed out what he's saying is, what you need for the Christian race is endurance, patience, patience. I think about the seed that fell on the rocky ground. The Bible says, as soon as it hit the ground, it sprouted quickly. You know, it was a quick growth. But it says something very profound. That when persecution or when trouble came as a result of the word, it died because it had no root. Let me say to you that this Christian race requires patience. It requires endurance. It is not about speed. It's about endurance. It's about patience. Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 10 to 12. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Now watch this. It says, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. It's one thing to start, but he's saying the same diligence. We want you to show it to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. He says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You know, our generation talks a lot about faith. But you don't hear so much about patience. And what this writer is saying is we need both faith and patience. Faith 
that receives the eternal promises as though they have already happened, but patience that waits to receive them in full. You have need of both faith and patience. Not faith or patience, but faith and patience. By faith, we taste the realities now. By patience, we wait for their full consummation. Faith and patience. Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 36 to 37. It says you, you need to persevere. I believe the King James says you have need of patience. This is a need for the Christian life. You need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Now keep in mind, every time you read in the book of Hebrews, promise, hope, is eternal in mind. It's speaking about an eternal hope. For in just a little while, he says, he who is coming will come and will not delay. So as we run, we look patiently to the coming of Christ, to his return. As we run, we have scriptures like 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 in mind. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Says, so we fix our eyes, oh glory to God, not on what is sin, but on what is unseen. Since what is sin is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There are eternal realities that we must fix our eyes on as we run with patience. Bible says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. Though that is where the Christian's mind must be, not on what is going on around us, but on, an, on our eternal realities, on what is to come for us, on the hope that we have in Christ. So he says, let us run with perseverance and patience. Another thing I would like for you to notice on this point three is that it says, let us the Christian race is one that is run in community. We need each other. There are times when I'm feeling down and I need you to say to me, come on, rise up. If you read earlier in this book, it says, let us consider how we can spoil one another onto good works. And so it's not an individual race. It's not a competitive race. In this race, I need you to lift me up and you need me to lift you up. And that is how we run with perseverance. So number one, keep forgetting what number one is <laughs> oh my goodness listen to the witnesses number two let go of weights and sins number three let us run with perseverance and then finally the final point look intently at Jesus look intently at Jesus this is fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith now the picture that comes to my mind is Peter when he asked Jesus command me to walk on the water and the Bible says as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus he could walk on the water but when he took his eyes off Jesus he began to sink you see your focus determines your stability your focus determines your stability will you consider the winds and the waves or will you look in the eyes of your Savior is able to hold you and enable you to walk on water. It says, look into Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is our focus. I 
say that one more time. Jesus is our focus. You know, it's interesting. Even though he tells us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, he does not tell us to look at the witnesses. He tells us to look at Jesus. In other words, <laughs> even though we may be inspired by the story of Abraham, Abraham is not our focus. Even though we may be inspired by Moses and Joseph, those men, those women of the Old Testament are not our focus. Our focus is Christ. We may be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but we do not keep our eyes on them. We focus on Jesus. If you look too hard at Abraham, you'll be disappointed sooner or later when you run into Hagar. <laughs> look too hard at Moses or any of the heroes of the Old Testament. They all had their issues. There is only one who was spotless and sinless, who never sinned. There was no guile in his mouth. And because of his sinless life, he was qualified to be the perfect sacrifice and the high priest for us who gave himself, he offered his blood once and for all and secured for us an eternal redemption. His name is Jesus, the one who is able to lift us up when we fall, who even when we trip, even when we trip in our sins, he's our high priest who is not untouched by the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus, the captain of our salvation. Jesus, our friend and our lover. Jesus, the one who died, who was buried, who rose, and who has given us eternal redemption. That is the Jesus who we fix our eyes on. He's our focus. He's our substitute. He's our redeemer. He's our friend. And particularly in this scripture, Jesus is our example. He says that he endured the cross. When we're going through tough times, we look at Jesus. Remember him as he hung there. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They said, come down if you are the son of God. Yes, he stayed there. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He scorned the shame. And you know what the beautiful good news of the gospel is? You were a part of that joy that was set before him. Jesus was looking forward to the time when you will be saved, when he will call you to himself. And when finally at the end of time, you and him will sit at that great banquet and share a meal forever in eternity. You have a joy. He died because he wanted to have more in the family, to increase the joy of the family. And you are a part of that joy. Listen, if you forget everything I have said today, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of persecution, keep your eyes on Jesus, our great substitute and our great example of faithfulness in the midst of trials. I hope you've been blessed. This word really blessed me when the Lord gave it to me, but I just hope that someone today has received strength and has received a renewed passion to keep on running till the end. To keep on running till the end. I don't know what you're going through and what issues you may be facing, but if you forget everything I have said, remember this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. The hymn writer says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on His wonderful face. And then he says, The things of this world will grow strangely dim, the trials and tribulations, in the light of His glory and grace. So Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. You know the persecution. You know the trials they may be facing. 
I pray that by your spirit, through your word, through the gospel, you will work in them a spirit of endurance and keep them from failing and from falling. Thank you, Lord, that you're already holding on to us and that it's not ultimately our hold on you that counts, but your hold on us. For none can ever snatch us from your hands. But Lord, help us to be faithful, to continue with you, not to turn back because of issues, not to give up on the church because of the many imperfections, but to take your view of your church and of your people. We thank you and we give you all praise. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.